Hello everybody and welcome to lesson one of intercultural communication. I hope that everyone is doing well, that you're excited for the new quarter, and that you're excited to get into this topic with me and your colleagues. So before we begin and actually dive into the content, I would like to mention the class setup a little bit. It's really important that you go through the entirety of each module. You'll see that I post things like articles, videos, um, PDFs, that kind of thing. Please go through all of them because I want you to get the most out of this class. If we were in class in person, I would pass out the articles, I'd have you read it, I'd have you discuss it, but we're online and I have to trust that you are going to do the best work possible. It is an online class, meaning that if you do not have time or you're not very self-motivated, it is going to be important that you talk to me right away to see if this is a viable class for you. I hope it is. Um, this is really good stuff and I think that we're going to get into a lot of wonderful conversation. There were some prerequisites for this class and I waived it for several people. That being said, I expect super high caliber and quality work. So if you're one of the people that I waived the prerequisite for, you're very welcome. I'm glad you're in class. I need to make sure that you show up 100% along as your counterparts as well. So um, just know that. So this lecture is really just me commenting on some things throughout the chapter. I'm not going to mention every single thing in the book because that's not what lessons are about. I'm going to comment on some things, but I want to make sure that you're actually reading the chapter on your own as well. And the things that are in the chapter and the module will come up on assignments. If it doesn't come up this week, it's very likely to come up in a couple of weeks. So please stay motivated, motivated, keep on track, and definitely ask me if you have any questions at all. I hope that you've been able to look over the syllabus already, but if you haven't, I'd like to bring your attention to a couple points. And that is that I have two rules in the class, and that is number one, be brilliant, and number two, think big. I want you to be creative. I want you to, to think, to ask questions, to um, maybe get uncomfortable with some of the subjects, and really just try to expand in this class. I'll be doing the same thing right alongside you, and I also want to make sure that we're being respectful of our colleagues as well. So... Um, and your communication styles, if we're doing a discussion or something, always make sure that you are listening to understand and you are writing to communicate, not defend a certain viewpoint or anything like that. All right. So chapter one is the necessity of intercultural communication. And the book starts out by telling us that we live in this world that is global and there are so many people and it's more interconnected than ever. And I think you all know that very well, just as I do. In fact, the internet has shown us even more um, how small and how big the world is at the same exact time. I could get online right now and see what a family in Taiwan is having for breakfast, live even. Um, so we are very much connected. That doesn't necessarily mean that we are communicating though, but it is right at our fingertips. So the book thing goes to tell us 
this is why we need intercultural communication. Here is why this is important. But before we even get into that, I want to say that this topic, this class, these concepts have the potential to take you very, very far in life. And I hope that you can see it as a beautiful thing a beautiful skill, a beautiful set of questions that you can put inside the toolbox that you have and that can carry you through life and careers and friendships and relationships and all of these different things that you're going to experience in your life. So know that intercultural communication isn't just for business people or people who are traveling a lot. Um, This is important for everyone regardless of where they live or what they do. your book lists four different benefits to intercultural communication and even though these are separate and different they really all tie in together um, to something that i would refer to as as wellness or vitality but it listed as healthy communities increased commerce reduced conflict and personal growth and tolerance i would argue that healthy communities lead to increased commerce, but also that increased commerce would lead to a healthy community, right? And in healthy community, there are reduced conflict. And when there's reduced conflict, um, there's more personal growth and tolerance. So like I said, it all kind of runs in together like syrup on a pancake instead of syrup on a waffle where there's all these little different segments. Everything is very much interrelated and um, can certainly influence the other. So let's start just kind of going through healthy communities and why intercultural communication might be helpful. Right now we can look at the very obvious example of COVID and how it's really ravaging um, the entire earth right now and how communication is power. Knowledge is power. So when we're able to communicate how COVID spreads to different communities, we're able to make sure that we control it as much as we can. Um, And so communication itself, telling people this is what COVID is, this is how it spreads, these are ways that we can protect ourselves, and spreading that information can definitely be powerful and, and create healthier communities. I've seen different health initiatives throughout communities and health isn't just physical health by the way we're talking mental health as well Um, even leisure can be part of a healthy community so um, something to consider moses lake itself does have several different communities within the community of moses lake you will see that we get into something called microcultures a little bit later but an important part in Moses Lake would to be able to get information out in the different languages that are represented. Off the top of my head, I know that we have English speakers, Spanish speakers, um, Russian speakers, and maybe in one of your discussions you can tell me if any of you speak other languages. The next segment is on increased commerce. When we're talking commerce, we're talking money, economy, the things that we're trading, we're talking travel, ecotourism, quite a few different things that we'll get into a little bit more. 
but nothing that I want to focus on too much today. And like I said earlier, increased commerce would influence a healthy community because if we have money to um, have better health clinics or better educational programs, we are in fact building a healthier community. So everything related here. The next one would be reduced conflict. Something really important here is to note that conflict is inevitable. Conflict will happen no matter how many different um, measures we take in order to avoid it. It's something to understand as inevitable, but to approach with intentionality in mind. So specifically when you're speaking to folks from different cultures, whether those be microcultures in Moses Lake, whether you be traveling to Riga, Latvia for um, maybe you're giving a, a keynote speech there, it's important for you to think about your view, your perspective, what you've grown up around and the person or the people that you're talking with because that will change the way that you see things and something that may seem extremely innocent to you, something that may seem um, like, yeah, we, this is totally fine in the U.S. I, nobody would worry if I did this in Moses Lake might actually be insulting. Um, I have been fortunate to travel quite a bit in my life and many stories will be shared I'm sure throughout this class and I hope that you'll share your stories as well but I've seen conflict happen and when you come from a place of humility wanting to learn wanting to connect to understood to understand and to be understood I think it's much easier to get over that um, I remember being in Egypt I was going snorkeling at a beautiful place in the Sinai region called Dahab and I was with a really small group of tourists and there were some women from Eastern Europe, I believe, um, someone from India, and I don't remember where the other person was from. But of course there was me and we had a group of Egyptians driving the van and planning our lunch for us and then taking us out to, to be in the Red Sea and see the, the coral reef and it was absolutely beautiful, right? And as we were driving through the desert, we stopped at this little place where an older gentleman was selling tea with this really yummy mint that grows in the mountainside there called Habuk. And this man only spoke Arabic and our group was communicating in, in English more or less, right? And we were sitting there with the man and I noticed that when he and I were sitting there and the group were sitting there, he was pretty comfortable. But then two women came and he seemed a little, a little more tense. And so I just kind of took it in. I looked and I realized that the two women had the bottom of their feet facing the gentleman, right? The bottom of their feet, bare feet facing the gentleman, which in, which in Egypt is a insult a big insult which in the middle east in general is an insult you do not show someone the bottom of your feet because essentially it means like you're dirt to me right and that's something that we wouldn't know necessarily um in the u.s and so i just mentioned to the women hey you're showing the bottom of your feet and and 
you know, that's not um, seen as, as proper etiquette here. So I, you might want to, you know, cross your legs or something. And they're like, oh, goodness, thank you for letting us know. And they crossed their feet and, and the man just had this like smile on his face when he saw them do that because he realized that um, they were not meaning to insult him and they realized that their behavior could be seen as insulting and everything just kind of went back to being really nice. But the two different parties in this little mini conflict both understood that they were not from the same culture. So the gentleman making tea didn't get up and yell, how could you be so rude? You're in my country. I'm making you tea and yet you show me the bottom of your feet. No, I could see he was a little uncomfortable, but he didn't, you know, get up and and throw tea everywhere. And then the travelers from Eastern Europe, the two women, when I told them, hey, you know, showing the bottom of the feet means this, they didn't say, well, it doesn't mean that to us. So he can get over it, right? They said, oh, goodness, we had no idea. They crossed their legs. Everything was fine. So both people in that party realized that um, there was some difference in their cultures. And at the end of the day, everything was good. So if you do make a mistake talking to someone from a different culture, just know that um, it's generally pretty easy to fix if you're in that mindset of being interculturally competent as a communicator, which is something we're going to get to and honestly is the goal of this entire class. Now we do have an entire chapter on conflict and it's going to be great to get into. I'm going to have you give examples. I'm going to give examples. I might bring in some people from different countries and religions to talk to us about um, some of their viewpoints and things that they've learned from talking to each other but um, know that reduced conflict is a good thing and I would say not just reduced conflict but really good conflict resolution right because like I said conflict's gonna happen um, and quite a bit but if we're able to resolve that conflict in a peaceful way in which both of us feel understood and understand the other, then we're doing a great job, an incredible job, in fact. And then lastly is personal growth and tolerance. When we look at other cultures, we're also looking at ourselves because we realize the differences and why it is that they're different, right? So maybe you um, are at an Asian culture Let's say you're in a Chinese household and you leave your chopsticks in your bowl and everyone goes, don't do that. Don't leave them in the bowl. Um, And you can look up on Google what that means, actually. And the. You know what? Actually, if you email me. By Friday and you tell me what it means in a Chinese family, if you leave your chopsticks in the bowl, I will give you extra credit. So that'll be a fun little Easter egg to see if you found. Um, But go ahead and email me that for extra credit. But let's say you leave your chopsticks in the bowl. Some people gasp. They tell you what it means. You might realize, oh, we we don't really have that idea around like silverware or anything. Some families do have like 
etiquette as far as where forks and where spoons go and then sometimes if you go to a fancy restaurant you put a fork and a knife to let people know you're done and there are different like ways to um, set cutlery in my family and my culture however it's really not important at all and so in learning that um, it is important in another culture I might find out okay that's that's something that isn't a big deal um, in my culture and then we might think of things that are big deals in our culture that might not be in other places so the more we learn about other places, the more that we learn about ourselves. Our book does talk a little bit about diversity in the United States. Um, it will get into it quite a bit more, but something that I did want to point out was the small section on language and revitalizing language. Um, make sure that you read that. I will be posting some things for you to go over, but I want us to think about the history in the United States and how it affects different relationships today and um, for us to be able to talk about how we might even address that in moving forward and looking for personal growth but also growth as a different as, as different communities coming together and so throughout this entire class I'd like us to be looking at what's right in front of us, but also looking at, at what we can create together. And then that segment ends by saying, there is a growing sense of uncertainty, fear, and distrust among different cultural, ethnic, and linguistic groups. These feelings create anxiety that can foster separatism rather than unity. And I would like us to be brainstorming how we can reach unity and what unity might even look like. Next, our chapter moves on to human communication. If you have listened to our intro foundational level on what communication consists of, what goals are in communication, then you'll already know quite a bit of this, but I will go over it very briefly. Our book reminds us that communication is a process that is continuous and ever-changing. I would like to add as well that it is transactional. It's back and forth. Um, as if you're buying something at Safeway, um, it is just going, going, going. And even sometimes when it's silent, it's still going, right? We talk about verbals and nonverbals. And sometimes nonverbals talk even more than verbals do and uh, make sure you go through the first module to look into that a bit it is dynamic meaning that it is something that's active and forceful we are engaged in that and then lastly it's symbolic and i spent a lot of time talking about the symbolic nature of communication last week but the important thing here is that we know that if something is symbolic it is arbitrary it is, there's no inherent meaning to what it is. So my bottom of the foot example in Egypt, if we go to every single country and every single group that exists within every single country and we show them our feet, is every single culture going to say, yeah, whatever, not a problem? Or is every single culture going to say, oh, how insulting, I can't believe you would show me the bottom of your feet? Definitely not. It's going to be different everywhere because there is no inherent meaning or representation when it comes to the foot. 
right? Now, we do know that we share facial expressions. So it's not that you're going to go somewhere and anger looks like happiness necessarily. When we're scared, we all have the same expression more or less through fear. But a lot of communication is symbolic in that as a culture, we've agreed on this as a representation of something. Think of emojis. Think of um, different hand gestures that we use. Now, next, I have two different communication models for us to look at. It's not in this chapter, though a lot of it is referred to, um, but I think that this will help our visual learners especially. This is communication when we break it down, break it down. So um, this is a linear model of communication that I show first. You'll see those two smiley faces. We have a sender and a receiver. It's linear in that there's no message coming back to that sender, right? And we find that this kind of communication is not helpful and is generally not understood very well, right? Because we're not getting that feedback. But let's look at it at its core. We have the sender and the receiver. The sender encodes a message, meaning that in their mind, they're saying, what do I want to say and how am I going to say this? And they come up with it and they decide on how it is that they're going to try and communicate this message, right? They then decide what channel they're going to use. I went over this in our first lesson. Maybe they decide to use a cell phone and make an actual phone call. Maybe they are going to make a post on Instagram and just hope that that person, that they're hoping, sees the message, sees it, and knows it's for them. Other times, maybe they just send a, a text message, right? So they pick the channel for that message that they've encoded, and they send it. The decoder or receiver then gets it and they engage in the process of decoding, which is saying, here's the message that I was just sent. What does it mean? Right? What are they trying to say to me? And then they get to the essence of what that message is. Now, a lot of breakdowns happen in communication because the message that the sender was trying to send is not the message that the receiver decoded for whatever reason, right? Sometimes we got a lot of things going on in our head already and we read into a situation or we assume that we know where the other person is going or maybe we don't understand a word that they used or we noticed that they used a certain tone that we weren't sure what it meant and so there's oftentimes um, issues there. You'll also notice, notice that there's noise um, that exists throughout this communication process. And in communication, noise is anything that interferes with the communication process. And there are lots of different kinds of noise in communication. And there can be audible, physical noise, right? Um, if we hear, like I clapped my, my hands for some reason, like that would give you a good idea. Um, Maybe you're at a restaurant and there's this baby crying next to you in the other booth and all of a sudden you're not focusing as much on the message, but you're focusing on that noise and you don't understand the, the message the same way you would have had you been conversing in a, a quieter environment, right? There's physiological noise. So 
if you have a migraine, I get migraines. I know that I become very bad at being able to pay attention and then think through things when I have a migraine because I feel fuzzy and I'm in that physical pain. Another kind of noise that exists is psychological noise. And if you have ever had a day where something very small happened, something that on most days would not make you upset, but on that day it happens and it just pisses you off and you're thinking, oh my gosh, how could this happen? One other thing. Um, It's often because you're already in that psychological space where you feel annoyed, you feel vulnerable, upset, and therefore you perceive something a little differently than you might have. An example would be, Let's say I'm having a day that it just feels like everything's going wrong and then my boss or let's say my romantic partner, right? I get a text from one of them saying, hey, we need to talk. If it's a day where things are going well, I might think, okay, yeah, what does my boss want to talk about? Maybe we're talking about this project or something like that. But if I'm in a day where things are going bad and I get that message from my boss or from um, my significant other, my mind might go to, oh my God, what's going to happen? Am I in trouble? Am I getting fired? Are we breaking up, right? Um, so always think about that psychological noise that, that can exist and does exist. Now, our next model is something that a friend and I actually came up with as a diagram to represent this. So I know there's a, a lot going on there, but follow me and we will get through it. Um, This is called the interactive communication model slash contextual communication model. And if you go to page 17 in your text, you will see how it goes over this. So unlike the other communication model that we just looked at, this model has feedback. So we've got back and forth now. So if I send out one email message to every single student in my class, It's not going to be understood in the same exact way by every single person. But I know that I have much more chance of being understood in the way that I want to be understood if students can email me back and ask questions. So um, a lot of you have already done it this week. And that helps me know that the message I was trying to convey is what was actually conveyed and also gives me time to correct anything that may have been misunderstood. So in this module, we now no longer have a sender and a receiver. We have two parties acting as both. So each person is encoding and decoding, and then there's that back and forth. The noise, of course, still exists because there will always be noise in communication, right? But a good communicator, a competent communicator will try to acknowledge that and make it easier. So maybe you're having that important conversation at a restaurant where that baby is crying and you say, you know what, let's save this this part until we get outside, how about that? And then you talk about something that requires much less attention. That communicator is thinking, I'm trying to get this message across, let me see a way that I can do this better. Maybe you postpone the job interview you had until after your, your migraine has passed because you know that you will be able to better explain yourself and show your your skills that way, right? So we keep noise in mind, but we also try to accommodate and, and acknowledge that it's there, 
Okay. We look at the channels that exist and we ask ourselves, which is the best channel for this message? And then if that channel doesn't work, we try something else, right? Um, I think in the last lesson, I talk about how if I wanted to get a hold of my grandpa, he does have a Facebook, but if I wrote him on Facebook, there's no way he would ever see the message because he uses it to see pictures, read news, and that's it. He'd have no idea how to actually check his messages. He also has a cell phone, but I would not be calling that cell phone because he hardly hears it. I would either send him a message or call him on his home phone, right? So I'm keeping that in mind. Who is it that I'm talking to? What is my message and how can I best get that message across? Which channel would be the most appropriate? And then I'm flexible. If one doesn't work, I try another. I know that we're all doing so much more virtually than we're, we're used to. And virtually, we find that there are some setbacks, right? Um, how many times have you tried to say something, but you were on mute? How many times have you been in the middle of explaining something or in a conversation with somebody and then all of a sudden they freeze? That's the actual communication channel interfering with your message. And it happens quite a bit, but we have to think, how can we get around this? How can we make things better? So we got that feedback going. We understand that there's noise that exists. We're trying to work around it. We're picking the best channel that we can for our message and our audience. But then we add something new here, and that is context. And you'll notice that the actual title of your book has the word context in it, uh, where it says a contextual approach. And context is everything. It is so important and sometimes it's difficult, but if we always have it in our minds or at least we check in with ourselves and with our audience um, every, every now and then, we've got a lot better chance of understanding and being understood. So when it comes to context, look through our book, see the different layers that they go through you're going to see a wonderful set of diagrams that's extremely helpful. Um, I'm going to go through three different kinds of context and then um, you can also go through what the book says and it'll give you a, a little bit of a different view but all of it comes together in, in a beautiful way. So, it, so the three different kinds of context, layers of context if you will, that we're going to look at will be number one situational number two, relational, and number three, cultural. So when we start with situational, we're thinking, what is the context right now of this situation? Am I at a funeral? Am I at a college classroom? Am I at a funeral? And what is appropriate for this situation? Um, you're probably not going to like wear the same thing you would um, to a funeral as you would playing baseball. Um, there's gonna be a different kind of decorum, different kind of communication style that's going to be used and uh, even emotions that belong, well, are appropriate, I guess you could say, at all of those different situations. So we're gonna say, what is the situation that I'm in right now? 
Next, we're going to look at the relationship between you and your audience. And your audience can be a person of one, right? Who's your communication audience? Or it can be an entire classroom of people, perhaps. I am going to speak a little differently to you as a class than I would speaking to one of my clients. Um, I am a, a trauma counselor and I talk to people that have gone through some really big trauma in their life. And me recording my lecture right now is very different due to my relationship with you all and the situation that we're in, right? A college classroom than it would be in my office um, in a counseling session with someone who just went through something very, um, very traumatic, right? So I'm taking our relationship and I'm also taking the situation into account. And then lastly is cultural. And guess what? That's what this entire classroom's about, right? What culture am I from? What culture am I communicating in? And what culture is my audience from? And sometimes you're going to have an audience from a bunch of different cultures. And that's where, um, that's where it takes a lot of thinking, a lot of flexibility. But there's also so much beauty there. And I hope that um, all of you will experience that one day. A word that you're going to hear quite a bit this quarter is the word perception and perspective. We all have these unique points from which we view the world and it will never be the same as someone else. But there are times when it can be very, very similar um, depending on culture. And there are so many different groups and identities that even if you're both part of the same religion, um, if you live in different countries and speak different languages, that might look fairly different. So um, do notice that and, and keep that in mind as you're communicating and there is that back and forth and you're thinking about noise and you're trying to be understood. The last part of the intercultural um, communication model and the interactive communication model that I just kind of put together as one is that when you're in this communication model and you are trying to be competent as a communicator, meaning that what you want to send as a message is what is being sent and understood. You're asking yourself, how is this going for me? Am I being understood? Am I understanding? And how can I, how can I make this even more successful? So you're checking in with yourself as you move on throughout that process. Great. So moving on, we have the nature of culture. Great. So these are accumulated patterns of values, beliefs, and behaviors. Uh, remember, those behaviors can be um, really obvious, other times not super obvious, as well as values and beliefs. In fact, I'll soon be uploading something called the iceberg theory of culture where um, there are certain things that are visible and that's the iceberg above the water that if you're in a boat you can see and go, oh my god, iceberg, right? Um, that are just super obvious and there's really no way you can miss them. Maybe like foods that are eaten or 
languages that are spoken, but then underneath there are other things that are much harder to see, such as values or um, beliefs as far as different roles in society go. Okay. Next is having an identifiable group of people with a common history, as well as verbal and nonverbal symbol systems. And we're going to get into all of this super deep in the weeks to come, but I want to make sure that this is just noted at least in this first chapter, the chat on the first chapter. Now, the book talks about something called intercultural communication apprehension. And that's the fear or anxiety associated with either real or anticipated interaction with people from different groups, especially different cultural or ethnic groups. And I want to talk about this idea of uncertainty and that when you're uncertain about something, it is very normal, natural to have a certain amount of anxiety. And that's because you're dealing with something that is unknown. So think about the first day in a new classroom. There's a lot of uncertainty. You don't know how the teacher is going to be. You don't know what the classroom is going to look like. You don't know who your classmates are going to be. And because there's so much space that you can't imagine, right? So many question marks. There is some anxiety in you. And it doesn't have to be super super intense anxiety it can be sometimes but there's anxiety nonetheless and the more that you reduce that uncertainty by finding things out the the less anxious you generally become because now those question marks have been filled you know what to expect throughout right so something to consider is that uncertainty reduction theory um, that says when we're meeting someone or when we are in a new situation, our biggest goal is to reduce that uncertainty by finding things out. And there are different information-seeking strategies that we engage in to reduce that uncertainty. We have passive strategies, active strategies, and interactive strategies. One passive strategy you can take to see if you think you'll like your professor is to go and look at ratings for that professor online right? You can look it up, say, okay, um, this teacher gives a lot of homework, but it seems like a lot of people like their class. Yeah, I think I can do that. I'll take it. Or you can take an active approach by finding a friend and saying, hey, you took this um, prof for winter quarter. Did you like them? Uh, How'd you feel about the class, right? Do you feel like you uh, learned a lot? Did they give you a lot of busy work? Tell me about this teacher, Right, Or you can take the interactive route and you can go straight to the source. Right? Hey, I'm thinking about taking your class. Um, what can you tell me about yourself? Or maybe you send an email over and say the same thing essentially. And you ask for more questions or you ask um, to meet up. And as you do that, you reduce that uncertainty. And we're talking about more of an interpersonal um kind of application here but we can look at this interculturally as well when you are meeting someone from a new religion or you're going to visit a different country let's say that you were invited over for dinner at a Sikh household I'm assuming that you would use 
some of these information-seeking strategies. Not that you need to know everything, right? It's impossible to know everything, and it's okay to have some of those question marks. But oftentimes, I think that you um, benefit quite a bit by doing a little research, right? So if I'm going over to a Sikh household, um, S-I-K-H, right? I might look up um, what kind of dietary restrictions do they have. Because I want to know if I can bring these cupcakes. Or I might look up um, some of the tenets of their faith so I have an idea more or less. And I can look that up online. I can ask around. And then I can even call them ahead of time for an interactive kind of strategy and say, hey, I'm, I'm trying to figure out which recipe to use. Is there anything that I need to avoid making? And then you're reducing that uncertainty. You can do this when talking to people of different backgrounds or even a country itself. Visiting the country, asking people that have been there, and then ultimately going and finding out for yourself. Next, we're going to talk about ethnocentrism. It's a big word, and I assume that most of you have heard it before. The definition that we're going to use for ethnocentrism this quarter is going to be the tendency to place one's own group, um, cultural, religious, ethnic, etc., in a position of centrality and highest worth, while creating negative behaviors and attitudes toward other groups. So remember we talked about the idea of perspective and um, perception, right? Ethnocentrism is when we see our world as the lens through which to kind of judge the rest of it, right? And you'll see ethnocentrism in a lot of different cultures, a lot of different groups, a lot of different um, religions, and this is often including in-groups and out-groups. Uh, if I am part of the in-group, I am one of the um, people who belong, or one of the chosen or someone with a special a special lineage or a special message or something like that, right? And and the people that aren't in the same group are part of an out group. And when you have those distinctions it can be very scary and um, can lead to valuing ourselves and our ways above someone else's. So a big part about college is learning, but something very big as well is unlearning. So when we get to things like this, where I say, you have, not you, you have all been raised in a certain way to where things make sense in our worldview, um, our perspective, and we're comfortable with that. But I want you to open up and look at people that have different beliefs, different backgrounds, different ways of life, and try to make that lens of ours even bigger. It can be tough to do. It can be really tough to do because we have to put some things aside that maybe we've defended for quite some time. But the biggest part of this class and the biggest ask that 
I have right now is for you to be comfortable in saying this is this is what I hold to be true and I just want to see what other people think and how other people learn and and how other people live their life um my dog is in the background I don't know if everyone can hear Luna be quiet baby be quiet down um and so I hope that in this class you will join me in learning but also unlearning because we all carry some things with us that um perhaps we don't even notice right and we will talk about things like biases um and implicit biases as we move on so my ask to you is to check yourself right if we're talking about something in class and you feel discomfort totally fine nothing wrong with that ask yourself why does this make me feel uncomfortable right if you feel defensive if you feel um excited just ask yourself why and then dive into that share it with me if you'd like to share it with your classmates um but i'd like us to be able to to talk together and to uh, learn quite a bit make sure that you go through the different ethics listed in this chapter as well as fundamental assumptions about intercultural communication um i don't feel the need to go through those right now but i do want to make sure that you go through them and understand them the last thing i want to mention is the um concept of intercultural communication competence and our book is defined as the degree to which you effectively adapt your verbal and nonverbal message to the appropriate cultural context and like i said that is where you are checking in you're asking yourself am i being understood am i understanding and how can i make this better and i tell you what i've been working on that for quite some time and i am still not there because nobody can be there right it's a process where you can only get better learn refine and just continue moving on and i hope that this class will help you look at all these differences understand what makes you special and unique and also what binds you to humankind around you you can look at the cultures in which you grew up and the culture that um we share of of Moses Lake and a lot of different things so um we got a lot to go over but cultural competence is our goal here and i hope that we all get a little closer to that through working together <laughs>